Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear kinsfolk. This is Pastor Visser from Covenant People's Ministry, located in beautiful Brooks, Georgia, in the heart of the Dirty South, which is Georgia. And dear kinsfolk, today I want to take a deeper look at the birth of Christ. And we could easily add this into our series on Luke, more specifically, our series titled Lessons from Luke. Because while it is that we completed the entire Gospel of Luke this year, in over 75 parts, including bloopers and several other supplementary releases, we barely touched the proverbial tip of the iceberg when dealing with many specifics that are found only within the Gospel of Luke. And in fact, in the first part of this series, Lessons on Luke, we look deeper at the Apostle Luke himself. We proved that he was a close traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. We proved that he belonged to the second generation of Christians. Meaning that Luke's gospel and Luke's clarity that he adds to the other three accounts is proof that people like Pilate, Herod, and the wicked world in general had not overcome. That Jesus Christ truly spoke the truth when he said that he will live again. Now, Luke's gospel is entirely different than Matthew, Mark, or John. John's gospel centers more around the spirit, whereas Mark's is a more youthful interpretation of the events dealing and pertaining to the life of Jesus Christ. Matthew, on the other hand, provides numerous things that are not found in Luke and vice versa. Now, we proved already that many examples, like the prodigal son, or the unjust steward, or even the good Samaritan, are found solely within the words of the great apostle Luke. Now, many people out there within Christian identity are going to come along and they're going to say, I have a problem with Paul. I don't trust him, even though he penned 80% of the New Testament. And albeit, it was Luke that traveled with Paul. So by extension, we could say those Paul bashers out there, or those who ascribe to an anti-Pauline doctrine, might as well throw Luke out as well, because after all, it was Luke who wrote Acts, and it's also most likely Luke who at least pinned the general epistle to the Hebrews that's so adamantly used in Christendom today. But that being a side note, today I want to look more specifically at the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, in Matthew, Mark, and John's take, they pretty much dive right into it. However, Luke spends so much time showing the similarities and how intricately linked the ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ were, 
that he devotes the entire first chapter to the life of John. For example, after providing his reason for writing his gospel, Luke adds to it. He says that one of the reasons he wants to write more is because he felt that the other three Gospels, and probably more at that time, which weren't considered canonized, were incomplete. But in chapter 1, he deals with the history of John's parents. He deals with the Annunciation of John. He deals with the sign to Zechariah, the conception of John and his mother's old age, and the Annunciation of Jesus Christ to the Virgin Maryam. Now, why would he do this? Why would he spend so much time? Why would he even go into great detail towards the latter end of chapter 1, explaining how Mary visited Elizabeth, and the babe Jesus leapt within the womb, and vice versa? How John and Jesus Christ were so intricately linked once again. Why would he explain the birth and circumcision of John the Baptist? Well, the answer, at least in my judgment, is found within John chapter 8 and numerous other places, but there's so many keys that could be provided. Number one, John's gospel was to set straight the path, meaning his gospel of baptism was meant to draw people to Jesus Christ. John was not unlike many of us preachers today in that he preached solely about the coming of the Messiah. Now, John, of course, had the Septuagint or the Old Testament. He would have been intimately familiar with that, considering that his father was an high priest. And not only that, it was Jesus Christ who would tell those Jews that upon them would come all the blood from righteous Abel all the way up to Zechariah. Now, why would he say that? Because once again, as Luke confirms, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ's ministries were technically one. So, Jesus it was who is that root and offspring of David, that bright and morning star, just as he testified to. But being the root, not only the offspring of David, but the very root thereof, means that he would be a descendant of Abel, more specifically Seth, but definitely Adam and Eve. Now, John, His father was Zechariah. So, when Jesus Christ tells the Jews, Upon you shall come all the blood from righteous Abel to Zechariah, whom you slew before the altar, he's also giving a valuable second witness to the fact that John and Jesus are intricately interlinked. Now, many people are going to come along and they're going to say, Well, see, I are the spirit of Elijah. See, I are John the Baptist. But that's simply not true. We may go forth in the spirit of Elijah or the spirit of John the Baptist, but that prophecy that was spoken of by Malachi towards the latter half of the Old Testament was definitely, adamantly, 100% undubitably fulfilled in John the Baptist. How can we say that? Mark says that. So beware of many false prophets. And we dealt with John in such vivid detail that we were literally at part 7 and into February, before we even started dealing with the pre-ministerial events of Jesus Christ. In fact, we didn't even begin dealing with Jesus Christ himself until the sixth segment. But nevertheless, the birth of Jesus Christ is found in the Gospel according to St. Luke, beginning in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, between verses 1 and 7, he gives the pre-ministerial events. 
These are cross-referenced in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, John chapter 1, verse 1, and also Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 will reference exactly what I'm talking about. But truly, the birth of Jesus Christ, as it is celebrated this time of year, because it is December 2014, about a week and a half away from Christmas, begins in chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel, verse 8. It reads, There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, interesting use of this word shepherd, is it not? Because Jesus Christ, Yahshua Messiah, would claim to be the good shepherd. He would even give us a key, and a valuable key in my opinion, dear kinsfolk, and that is this. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Moreover, the voice of a stranger, an ethnos, a nocree, they cannot hear. What does that mean? That means that Jesus' sheep are not fooled. They know their shepherd. They follow their shepherd, and there's simply nothing that the false prophet can do. So, in my opinion, what this provides for us is a valuable key into why false prophets exist and who exactly they are. Because a false prophet's going to be out there saying, don't listen to so-and-so, doubting the Word of God, doubting what Jesus Christ straightforwardly said. And that is, once again, my sheep heard my voice, they'll follow. Now, if you're going to go out there and say, don't listen to so-and-so and feel like you need to warn the flock, you're spitting in the eye of Jesus Christ. That's a secondary note, dear kinsfolk, but it's fact. If they cannot be deceived by a stranger, quote, Moreover, the voice of a stranger they will not hearken unto, end quote. Then there's simply nothing you can do but waste your breath trying to warn people about specific pastors. Who, ironically, I might add, are mostly all Anglo-Saxon, white, Scandinavian, Germanic, and the kindred people, the covenant people, the chosen, not necessarily the called. Verse 9, And lo, the angel of Yahweh came upon them. And the glory of Yahweh shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now, that's an interesting aspect, and something that I prove from the Gospel of Luke. That is, when Mary, when Anna, when even the disciples would deal with the angelic host, they were sore afraid. It wasn't as if they were filled with joy and revelation and said, Hey, Jesus Christ is the only God of Israel, even though that's true, but rather, they were fearful. Why? Because it is fearful to fall into the hands of the ever-living God. And at this point, I want to invite you to go and listen to the fifth sermon from my Shepherd of Herma series. Because in that, we prove the differences between the right hand and the left hand of Yahweh God. The right seat and the left seat. In short, I could sum it up by this. The left hand is reserved for the fools. The right hand for the chosen. Not just the called, because the called can also be found on the left hand. But those on the right hand are untouchable, unpenetratable, and they are simply sealed, reserved for Yahweh's use and His judgment. Now, Jesus Christ was no different. We know that all of the Old Testament, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, explains that Jesus Christ would come, that a Redeemer for all of Israel would return. And not only that, that we would have our king. Now, Jesus Christ was not coronated until he went ascended to sit at the right hand of Yahweh God. And that's also why the first time he came, he came as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Not to pass judgment, not to rebuke, not to do all the things that he will do at his second advent.
Verse 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now, what people? All people. But who are considered to be people in the Bible? Well, if you read in Genesis chapter 4, we see that this is the book of the generations of Adam. Those would be considered the people, or the covenant people, of the Old Testament. And in the very beginning of the New Testament, it says this is the book of the genios, or generation, or race of Jesus Christ, Yahshua Messiah. So, people, at least scripturally, are considered Israelites. The rest of them are considered heathens, heretics, pagans, and so much worse. But that's a side note. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Or we could just say Yahweh in flesh form, because after all, His name is Emmanuel, or Emmanuel, meaning God with us, in the old and the new. Jesus Christ is undoubtedly the only begotten Son of God, not just a Son of God, as Adam and Satan were. But He was also God manifest in the flesh. Christ would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Christ would say, no man comes unto me except by or through the Father. Now, the interesting thing about this verse that we're studying today is that it uses the terminology, and this is Gabriel speaking, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior, which is the Christ. Now, the interesting thing about that is that I preach two specific sermons dealing with that Old Testament prophecy, which is found in the book of Isaiah. The first one is titled, Unto Us a Child is Born. The second, which was preached about five years later, was titled, Unto Us a Child is Given. But either way you cut it, it's unto us. Not the entire world. Unto us a child is given. And Gabriel makes no qualms when he says that. Now this is to the shepherds, not Miriam and not Joseph. And he tells the shepherds, Unto you is born this day. Not Mary. Meaning, they were Israelites. Because again, Israelites equate to the people of the Bible. The covenant people, we could say. Verse 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, I've preached on this concept several times because chances are pretty good that he was not born in a manger with the filthy animals, the quote-unquote goyim, we could say. But many and numerous Gnostic texts all point out that Jesus Christ would have been born in a cave, in the side of a mountain, with the help of a midwife. Some of them even go as far as to say that they took the umbilical cord and put it in the alabaster box of ointment. That same box of ointment that Judas anointed Jesus Christ for burial with. That's a side note, however. Wherever Jesus Christ was born, and whether it was in a manger or the side of a mountain, the truth of the matter is nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to celebrate His birthday. We are, however, to follow all of those holy days and feasts that are put down in the Old Testament. Scripturally, there were two men who celebrated their birthday, at least with a big fanfare, and that would be Pharaoh and Herod, both of which were destroyed for their lack of obedience. The latter being consumed and eaten of worms on his birthday for the same exact thing by the angelic host. And on a side note, that's the last of the angelic announcement to the shepherds. 
But there are those who will come along and they'll downplay the importance of angels. These are known scripturally as Sadducees. They're meant to be avoided because all they can seemingly do is say that there are no angels, there is no resurrection. And that, of course, would be the integral theme of Jesus' ministry. So much so that it was angels who announced to Anna and Joachim that they would have John the Baptist. That it was angels that would announce to the shepherds in the fields that unto them a child had been born. Not only that, it was angels that announced the birth of Jesus Christ to Mary, to Joseph, announced his death to Mary, to Joseph, and the latter disciples, and angels appeared while Jesus Christ was being crucified from heaven, strengthening him. So while it is that unruly scribes once upon a time indiscriminately translated men, angelos, archangelos, into that nondescriptive term men is beyond me, but the reality of it is just like demon, possession, and sickness, they are separate and they are differentiated in the word of God. So it comes back to you to find out what angels really are. Do angels have wings? Well... What about that angel and or cherub that was placed east of Eden? Did he have wings? What about those angels that stood over the mercy seat with, what was it again? Mm, Wings overstretching the seat itself. How about those angels that are in Solomon's temple? On every single aspect, from the wall to the seats to the high holiest of holies. Well, I leave it to you to understand. The angelic host will worship God and Jesus Christ because after they make this annunciation, after they say, this shall be the sign unto you, you'll see the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Verse 13 says, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, pay close attention, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Now that is also where we ended the sixth sermon in our Gospel of Luke and began our seventh. But the interesting thing about this is that he says, on earth, peace. Jesus Christ would be considered the Prince of Peace in the Isaiah prophecies, but yet he would also say as he walked in Galilee, think not that I'm come to bring peace on the earth, for I'm not come to bring peace but division, war etc. To set mother and daughter and son and father and in-laws, etc. at variance and against each other. That was the purpose of Jesus Christ's coming. So here the angels say, glory to God in the highest. Why God? Because His only begotten Son was coming to earth. Secondly, on earth, peace. When? Well, it wasn't when Jesus Christ walked at least nationally. Personally, Jesus Christ could give eyesight to the blind, He could feed the hungry and clothe the naked, and they were granted peace then and there, in the interim. However, world peace, without end, amen, does not usher in until that final war of Gog and Magog. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the Gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship, or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net, where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts, 
or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church, so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. And dear Kenspoke, I apologize if you're hearing a little bit of background noise today because we actually have heaters running here in the Covenant People's Church today because it's gotten extremely cold and we got about two more months to go. So, button up and stay warm. Goodwill towards men, towards Adamites. Now, the shepherds confirm the birth of Jesus Christ between verses 15 and 20 of St. Luke chapter 2. We're going to skip over that. And we're going to go right to the circumcision and the naming of Jesus Christ. In verse 21, Luke says, When eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, John, Jesus, Jacob, Adam, and so many other people were actually named by Yahweh God before they even came to earth, proving predestination. It is Yahweh God who tells Jeremiah, before I even placed you in the womb, I knew you. And that's exactly who the called and the chosen are. Those who are sealed, those who could be considered the remnant, those who do not bow knee to Baal, well, they are they who overcame in the first earth age. And not only that, they are they who do not bow knee to Baal today. Because we live in Satan's kingdom, we have an antichrist ruler, although we never voted for him, but... Be that as it may, it's not far removed from how it was for Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar's court. Now, Jesus, as an anglicized word, in the King's English, means Savior, or, quote, God who is salvation, end quote. Yahshua, meaning Yahweh saves, or Yahweh's Savior. Now, that's who was given unto us that day in Bethlehem. That's who was given as the Redeemer. Now, Simeon gives a prophecy after Mary is purified. But why was it that eight days needed to be fulfilled before Jesus Christ would be circumcised? And why would Jesus be circumcised if we were under the new covenant now? An even greater question, is it not? Because many men come along and they say, well, circumcision's barbaric, even though science has proven that circumcision is beneficial. Circumcision, at least in the case pertaining to Yahshua Messiah, was observed because it was the Old Testament considered Mosaic law. The law in which each and every Israelite man, woman, and child were instructed to live according to Now, Jesus was born according to that law, the prophecies of the Old Testament, and so much more. And he would live according to that same law. And here's proof. He was circumcised. What's that mean? That means that Mary and Joseph were extremely obedient. Obedient in the regard that when Gabriel comes to Mary and says, You shall conceive in your womb. 
You shall bring forth a child, his name shall be wonderful. She says, Be it unto me as thou sayest. Now there's a valuable lesson to be learned within that, because each and every one of us should be doing the same exact thing. If Yahweh God wills it, then use us as acceptable vessels, or sacrifices we could say, to bring about his will on earth as it is in heaven. But Jesus was circumcised. He was circumcised on the eighth day because it took about a thousand years for men to realize that blood does not coagulate in infants until after the seventh day. Meaning that while man sat there and pondered and said, what type of sadistic God would actually command that the foreskin of a man's penis be cut off? A, only God could come up with that because no man would say it. And B, God was correct in that regard. We learned around the 80s that it was unfit to circumcise children until after they were a week old. Now that's a side note, but I want you to understand that God knew what was true. God knew in His law what was best for us. So much so that Jesus Christ was circumcised on the eighth day. And if you don't believe me, simply go back to Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3. And realize that not only was it the law of God, but it's the token of the Abrahamic covenant. The very token of being an Israelite. So, do we obey the law of God by saying, don't get circumcised? Well, I don't know. But if you go back and read Genesis, chapter 17, verses 10 through 14... You'll see exactly what I'm teaching you today. And that is the fact that if we are to come under the new covenant, which is made with the same exact people of the old, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, then we are to be circumcised. Now granted, under the new covenant, circumcision is of the heart. Meaning, if you're like Moses and weren't circumcised in a timely manner, you're not going to be sent to Sheol, but that God calls you to obedience. So... Circumcision of the heart is a study for another day. But Jesus Christ, on his eighth day, after being born, was truly circumcised by Mary. Why Mary, his mother? Because she grew up in the holiest of holies. And if you haven't already, I'll invite you to go back and listen to a sermon series I preached about five to six years ago, titled, The Gospel of Mary. It has its own little section in the audio pages of covenantpeoplesministry.com. But... It was her who was raised in the holiest of holies. It was her who sang the song of degrees as she went down each step of the temple of Jerusalem. It was the Virgin Mary who was so obedient and set aside that when all the other women and girls of her graduating class were graduated, they went out and said, whoop-dee-doo, time to get married, time to have children, time to finally be a woman, but not so with Mary. Mary sat back. Mary said, Yahweh God, send me a mate. I'm not going to go looking, but rather Yahweh will give me a sign as to who it is I am to be betrothed to. And that's exactly what happened. The moral behind that is, be patient and wait on Yahweh God. Don't be like my ex-co-host in your mid-fifties, living in your mother's basement, because all you do is sit and spend your time going from bars to libraries and trying to push the will of God by rowing your own canoe. If you're like Mary and wait well, an ensign will be given you. But Mary was purified because that also was the law of God after she delivered the young Yahshua Messiah. Simeon, who was a high priest, came in and you know what he did? He gave a long prophecy. 
And in that prophecy he says, Which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people, Israel. Keyword, thy people, God's people, Yahweh's people, Yahweh's sons and daughters, you and I. Not the entire world, not any Tom, Dick, and Harry who chooses to believe on Jesus Christ like they're doing him some great favor in giving him belief. Belief will not save you. Being called, being chosen. Why? Because the Redeemer was sent as a light to lighten the Gentiles. Jesus Christ would say what? I am the light of the world. Jesus Christ would say, if the blind lead the blind, let them both fall into the ditch. Now, the next segment in this series, Lessons from Luke, we're going to deal with the childhood of Jesus Christ. And I perhaps might bring some of the Gnostic teachings pertaining to that. The stories of which Jesus Christ took mud down at the banks of a river when he was but a youth and breathed life within it. This would be the Gnostic belief of Gollum and where he stems from. <laughs> Not Lord of the Rings, dear kinsfolk, but the concept of a Gollum, zombie, walking the face of the earth devoid of any spirit, is actually scriptural, albeit uncanonized, but perhaps I'll get into that. The life of Jesus Christ was entirely different than the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, in the birth of Jesus Christ, Yahshua pegged it on both ends, because Mary was a cousin to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was considered among the daughters of Aaron, meaning that Mary would have been from the tribe of Levi, and Joseph, the Judean, would have been, obviously, of the tribe of Judah. So, Jesus Christ, in his birth, would have been considered an high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek, and not only that, but the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that old statement is where so many people get misled. What is a Jew? What does Judean mean? Well, we know that everybody in America would be considered an American, but it really doesn't denote their nationality. A Judean is the same exact analogy. For example, anybody round about the land of Judea and during the time of Herod Antipius, or Herod II, would have been considered a Judean. So, Joseph, being of the tribe of Judah, was considered to be a Jew. And I'm using that in the slang term. Now, there were people who would come along, and they would marvel at what Jesus would teach, and they would say, why should we listen to him? Is this not the carpenter's son? Well, short answer is this. No, he's the son of God. And if we were really to break down the racial genealogy of Jesus Christ, he was 100% Levitical. Hear me, dear kinsfolk, half spirit, because he was born of God, half Mary, who is among the daughters of Aaron. Why is that important? Because it proves that God was true in his word, and not only that, that we must be called, or at least in a spiritual aspect, among the tribe of Levi. Now, remember that it was Levi when they entered into the land of Canaan who did not get a land inheritance. They were instructed to preach the word of God because they were the priestly tribe. And why were they instructed not to? Well, the reason they were instructed not to have any land and not to work in anything but the ministry was because the other 11 tribes were to be tithing 10% to Levi, making it a 110% effort 
on the remaining tribes of Israel. And I might add, that analogy still holds true today in this year, 2014. There are many admonitions out there that say, if you do not buy truth, well, if you do not support those who tell you the truth, then the truth tellers are to take away all truth from the land and keep their mouth shut. And until the day that happens, dear kinsfolk, I'll continue preaching. But the moment no one listens, the moment no one supports, and the moment no one has need for these particular sermons, I'm gone. In fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus Christ was no different. He had a treasurer. Granted, it was Judas and he was a thief. But he carried the treasury bag. He did preach for finance. Not solely, but he did take increase to continue his ministry. In that I mean he would take the money from preaching and he would feed the multitudes with a few loaves and a few fishes. Many other examples such as that. Now he didn't go and buy them. Of course he miracled them out. That's a study for another day. But I want you to really understand this aspect. Jesus Christ didn't do what he did for free. Beware of those who want to come along and do anything for free. Beware of a free education when Scripture says to buy truth and sell it not. Now, there are so many differences between each gospel narrative pertaining to the birth of Jesus Christ that time will not allow me to cover each and every one of them today. But the key points from Luke are that. The song of Zechariah. The song and prophecy of Simeon. The song of Mary. Each of these are prophetical. Each of these provide little keys that most people usually often overlook. Simple keys, like unto us a child is born. Well, who's this us? If you question your Judeo-Christian pastor, will most likely say, well, this us is anybody in the world. That's simply a concept that is foreign to Scripture. In fact, we began this study on that concept. That Christ says, my sheep hear my voice. They will not follow the voice of a stranger. And so I say unto you, do not make the same mistake. It's impossible if you're sealed. It's impossible if you're chosen. But it is possible if you're merely called. And while many of us walk around and we say, yeah, I'm chosen and I'm a special friend to God, you got to understand that Yahweh God commands what He commands to see if you're going to obey it or not. And nothing really entertains me quite as much as these people who come into the camp. They're not ordained by me or even Wickstrom or Golette. And they come in there and they say, hey, I'm Christian identity too. Then they spend all their time talking about other men, slandering them, making up stories and spreading gossip and malicious rumors, things that are completely verboten in the Word of God. If you were familiar with the Word of God, you would not be deceived by them. Yeah, you heard me correct. You would not be deceived by them. Why? Because they're not Christ's shepherds. That's the key in Jesus' statement. My sheep hear my voice. Now, His sheep will hear the Word of God preached faithfully, even understanding that Jesus Christ is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. That Word was made flesh and dwelt among men. That's John chapter 1, verses 1-14. through 14. Jesus is the Logos, meaning everything Yahshua Messiah spoke is codified right here. He's not coming to bring a new way. He's not coming to disannul everything He said, saying, hey, you know what, my daddy was wrong when He gave the law. But rather, just like Scripture attests, Jesus Christ's birth was after the manner of fulfillment of prophecy. And not only that, to fulfill. 
Fulfill meaning complete, not do away with. When Jesus Christ says, it is finished on the cross, it was fulfillment of the 22nd Psalm. When Jesus Christ said, until heaven and earth pass, not one jot nor tittle shall in no wise pass from the law or the prophets, he meant it. He even added that word, the prophets, so you'll know exactly what he's talking about. The Old Testament. Christ said not one single law or word of Yahweh God can fail. Why? He taught it. He lived according to it. So did John the Baptist on the banks of the river Jordan. But when it was all said and done, both Yahshua Messiah and Johannes the Baptist could come along and say, You brood of vipers, you race of snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? By that one simple proverbial statement, they identify their Jewish enemy as being serpentile. They also confirm the Old Testament teachings that salvation would never be extended to the non-Israelite peoples. And not only that, that each and every one of us have that possibility of falling. Part of falling, of course, is going after the world and the world's customs. And this year, 2014, in December we can all fall into that trap by celebrating Christmas erroneously. Don't celebrate His birth, celebrate His death. Don't celebrate Christmas as far as the pagan elements of it. But if anything, around this time of year, take time to focus on the birth of our beloved Redeemer. The birth of Yahshua Messiah is entirely different than His life, and it's entirely different than His death. And so it stands. If we're to do anything this Christmas of 2014, then let it truly be about glorifying the birth of Jesus Christ. And not only His birth, but also His life, His death, His resurrection, and His coming second advent. That is the day that each and every one of us are looking forward to and hastening. Meaning that there's very little you can do down here understanding that Yahweh God is in control of all things. That every single aspect of your life is in God's hands. That's blessed assurance. That is faith. That is obedience. That is something that the unbelieving world does not have out there in mainstream Christendom. So if you're to do anything, celebrate the birth of Christ. And I'll be back with you, granted maybe not this year in 2014, but most definitely in the first few months of 2015. When we continue this series on Luke, albeit it's lengthy because we're coming up on over a year now, when looking at the life, the death, and the return of Jesus Christ, meaning that there is at least three more sermons to be released from this series in the Gospel of Luke before we could even consider it concluded. And so, until next time, dear kinsfolk, this is Pastor Visser inviting you to swing by our website, sign up for an account on our forums for fellowship. The address will be given here in less than one minute. And, dear kinsfolk, be good to each other. Take care of each other. Do not allow the stranger to come in and muddy up what is already written and as clear as day from the codified word. Until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia and CPM wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given. 
that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Viss's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.